So in today's episode, we're going to talk about the post-mortem mindset and how you can analyze the awful to uncover the awesome. All right, so I have a confession to make. I can't stand following the herd because if I do, then the best that I can be is average. And I have zero interest in average. I want remarkable. And the only way to do that is to think different. So I'm studying game changers, trailblazers, rule breakers, awesome makers, and those crazy ones who are looking to change the world and sharing what I've learned so you can make remarkable happen in your life. My name is Dean Dwyer, and this is The Mindset Show. Hey, how are you doing? Dean Dwyer, welcome to another episode of The Mindset Show. Uh, I'm excited. I'm always excited. Uh, But um, I did want to say that this is actually round two for me. So I recorded this episode yesterday. Uh, it It was probably about an hour long. I listened to the whole thing and then I edited, I probably spent a couple hours editing it and it just, um, it was clunky for me. And I realized that the reason it was clunky was I tried to, I tried to over script it and I was decided that I'm, I'm, I'm not going to continue to play with this, but I still don't have the best way yet to sort of put my stuff together. I'm not a scripted guy, meaning, Um, I tried that with my second podcast, Ideas Were Stealing. It was a scripted show, and I would write everything out, and then I would read it, and I just didn't, even though that I actually thought that show was really well produced and it looked great, um, I'm not a scripted guy. I just, it didn't feel authentic for me. And again, I'm not saying there are people who who are definitely scripted and they do an amazing job, but I'm not that guy that I kind of consider this more to be like an improv show, is I've got an idea and then I just let whatever comes out, come out. And so yesterday, I tried to organize everything on Keynote. And so I had about 50 slides. And as I was going through, I realized I wasn't looking at the slides, that I was just... And then I would try to come back to the slides, and I don't know. It just felt really clunky. Uh, and I was actually using my podcasting equipment, which has a mic and a whole bunch of other things. And uh, I kept getting some popping with my P's and my T's, and it was getting annoying. And so I'm not exactly sure what I missed there, because uh, I did have a pop filter over top. But anyhow, it just I got it got annoying, and I thought, you know what? It would be better for me to uh, to re-record. This is my art. It would be better for me to re-record this, so that at least at the end of the day, I have no idea how people respond. You know how you're going to respond, how other people are going to respond. The only thing that I have that I can hang my hat on is that I like my episodes. That's the only thing that I know for certain. And I wasn't a hundred percent, and I wasn't terrible, but I wasn't a hundred percent in love with it. So. We're back at it again today, so I uh, I know that today will be better, and you're welcome for not having to listen to my uh, my popping of my P's and T's and everything else that I was uh, I was doing that uh, just grew annoying. Um, I will encourage you to listen to the end today uh, because when I recorded yesterday, at one point I had to open up uh, a bottle of water because uh, I was just my throat was dry. And uh, the bottle wasn't open. I had it between my legs. 
and it was a gong show. I'm not going to tell you what happened, but I'm going to take the out uh, the outtake from yesterday's show, and I'll 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 put it at the end of today's show. Uh, I mean, I was laughing hysterically. It was just so funny and so me. That's just exactly the kind of thing that I would do. Anyhow, that's uh, at the very end of the show, after the uh, branded outro, um, I will include that uh, that outtake in there for you. So let's jump right into the show, shall we? So I mentioned at the beginning of the show that this episode is all about the post-mortem mindset. And I will say this about this mindset. If I was to write a book on mindset, and I will one day when the time is right, and I could only write about the 10 most beneficial mindsets that I think everyone should have on the planet, the 10 that I feel would just create extraordinary results in people's life, I was going to say lives, uh, this would be in that top 10. It is that important. Um, and what's ironic about this mindset is we, no one ever teaches us about this mindset. So we have never learned this. People talk about the ability to analyze, or they talk about the importance of learning from our failures, but we're never actually encouraged to fail with the sole notion of like, okay, let's go back now and pull out all the great things that happened from that failure. That is not the way we look at or frame failure. Uh, And we do ourselves a huge disservice by not having a way to effectively uh, dissect what we've done wrong. Um, and as a result of that, we end up sort of living in these little tiny prisons that we create for ourselves and our world slowly begins to shrink over time. Um, and it's just, it's not a great way to live. And I think that we can open up a world of possibility if we were to begin to use this kind of a mindset to dissect all the things that don't go according to plan. And I will say that the inspiration for this, um, this started a number of years ago. And um, ironically, I don't know if it's ironic. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm misusing ironic here. But um, uh, my inspiration is actually the airline industry. The airline industry is amazing at actually going back and reviewing um, accidents that happen and pulling out not just the cause. Like We can be pretty good at saying, oh, I know what caused that, um, but actually putting rules in place so that never, ever happens again. Um, most people never do the second step. You know, like I, I'm just, uh, just as I was saying that, I was thinking, for example, like people, um, you know, decide that they're going to lose weight. And so they, they jump on some plan or whatever. And the moment that something goes wrong, they default to character flaw rather than, so they'll say, oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm unmotivated, I'm undisciplined, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. Like we default to character flaw rather than say, hmm. I wonder what happened there and then put a rule in place. So anyhow, I said the airline industry has always fascinated me. And a few years ago, I uh, I started doing a little uh, of my own research because I was curious to know some of the things that they put into place. And I came across something called the sterile cockpit rule. Um, wow, I'd say that 10 times. Holy jumping. Um, it was, and it fascinated me that this particular rule because... Um, with an airline crash, 
first of all, the airline industry is in an unfortunate position that when something goes wrong, generally it's tragic and there's usually large numbers of people uh, involved in something like that. So they really need to get things right, you know, as whenever possible, they've got to get things right. And in those situations when obviously things don't go right, they've got to be able to figure out what went wrong so that they can put protocols in place so that never happens again. And I believe this started in the 70s. There were a series of accidents that happened um, that were not actually that when when they when they began to sort of do their postmortem that had nothing to do. There was no mechanical failure. And they really sort of, uh, they weren't sure what was going on. But what they ultimately discovered, uh, and this is where the black box comes in, where again, you get to do a postmortem and you can hear things, is they realized that it was the accidents happened because the pilots were distracted. And so they put a rule in place that all pilots now must follow when they're flying an aircraft. And I reached out to my buddy, Mike Swanigan. You've heard me mention Mike before. Uh, Mike just recently retired from Alaska Airlines. Uh, He was a pilot there. So I just had him uh, give us a brief synopsis of what that um, post-mortem rule is. The sterile cockpit rule requires that pilots limit all conversation that is not specifically required for the safe operation of the flight. In other words, no talking about what you did over the weekend or the big game tonight until the airplane climbs out of 10,000 feet. On descent, all non-essential conversation stops when the airplane drops below 10,000 feet. So I just realized that I made a mistake. It's I said the post mortem rule. Uh, hello, Dean. That's not what we're talking about. So the sterile cockpit rule. Uh, thank you, Mike, for that uh, description of what it is. He's got such a radio voice, eh? like isn't that like I I have this like hey how are you doing like this squeaky irritating voice, and he's got this sexy hey there kind of voice, and that's definitely not me. But thank you, Mike, for uh, for that explanation. So um, yeah, they put this rule in place, and it is one of the reasons now that uh, safety, at least in Canada and the U.S., um, uh, has dramatically improved as a result of that particular rule. So what I want to do is I want to transition into a story. And so here, let me me sort of um, just describe this for you so that you can get a visual so you know what you're going to be listening for. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a story. And my story is called The Near Death experience. And uh, I'm going to go through, I'm going to tell you the story. It's a long story, but I'm telling you, this is a crazy, crazy story. It's the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, as I'm telling this story, you're going to think I'm making this up. And I'm te- I, I will tell you right now that it is 100% true. I am not making up anything. Uh, It all happened and it happened exactly the way that I'm going to describe it. I'm going to tell you the story. And then when the story is done, I am actually going to model the post-mortem mindset. I am going to go through and I'm actually going to pull out three 
things. I'm going to call them tools. Three tools that I, I actually never, I never analyzed this story. This happened about 10 years ago. I never analyzed it to sort of uh, pull the, the great things out of it that I could continue to use in other areas of my life. And so I'm going to tell you the three tools that I pulled out of it, uh, which are also going to be three great tools that you will be able to use in your life if they resonate with you. Um, and then what I'm going to do, once I pull out those three things, I'm then going to do a flip where I'm going to turn the show around and I am going to c- to, to attempt to convince you of the game-changing benefits of why you need to adopt this mindset. Like this is, everybody should be doing this and we should be doing this in every situation where things don't go according to plan. All right, I have gone on long enough. Let's get into some serious storytelling, people. So this actually happened, I had left teaching, I resigned from teaching because I never wanted to teach again, I wanted to do something else in my life, took a year off school, ended up coming back to Toronto and teaching at a private school. Uh, It was a six week uh, contract, I stayed there for six and a half years, boo, but um, this happened while I was at this school, shortly before I left, um, this took place. So uh, I was the head of the... ESL department, which is English as a second language. And um, so I had an office that was about the size of a closet, but it did have a window. But it was so small that I couldn't even put a chair in front of my desk because it took up the whole room. So I had to keep the desk by the back wall where the door was. So I had this office and next door was a colleague. She was head of the English department. Um, And we, we, I mean, I, we obviously knew each other and we'd worked together for a few years, but uh, we'd never had any kind of personal conversations or anything like that. Any conversations we had were always around school and there weren't many of them. Anyhow, uh, one day I'm in my office and uh, I'm working away and I hear a knock on the door and it's her. And, and she asked if she can come in and I said, of course. And so she grabs this, uh, a seat at this chair, which is by the door uh, at the back wall and she closes the door. And I'm like, and she's, she kind of looks at me and she says, um, I don't know how and I don't know when, but I really, really like you. And in my head, my brain is going, what is happening here? Um, I didn't see that coming at all. Uh, and there were two issues with that. The first was... Um, I I didn't feel the same, and so there was this this whole conversation going on in my head of like, what? How? Why do I respond to that in a way where I could feel good about how it all went at the end? The second problem, she was married. Yeah, so um, I was kind of in an awkward position, and I I remember the moment. I remember the awkwardness of the moment. I didn't have any grace and I didn't have any dignity. And I don't even know. I kind of bumbled and mumbled my way through some kind of response. I, I don't even remember what I said. But there's a, it reminded me of an episode of Friends where Ross uh, is in love with, with someone and he tells her that. And her response was classic. Listen, I, I, I have to tell you something. Um... I'm just going to come out and say it, okay? Uh, I, I think I love you. Oh, thank you. 
And I wish, I wish, in hindsight, I wish I had responded that way. But I didn't. It wasn't, uh, I'm not saying that would have been the best response, but at least, you know, I, I could, could have just said, oh, thank you so much. And I'm sure she would have walked out going, thank you. What kind of an answer is thank you? But at least with that, you know, there's no, you know, you're not leading anybody on. You're not encouraging more of it. Just thank you very much. Anyhow, um, so, so this conversation happens and that's it. Nothing, nothing ever, like she never followed up. I never followed up. We never, there didn't seem to be any awkwardness. I said, we, we didn't talk much anyway. So it wasn't like we were having other conversations, but you know, continued to see her and she'd say, hi, I'd say hi. And you know, we, once in a while we had to collaborate on school stuff, but, but that was it. So I'm not exactly sure the timeline. I think a few months goes by and the March break is coming up. And so it's the week before the March break and she comes to my office and she said, um, I've got a favor to ask you. And I'm like, yeah, what's uh, like, what's going on? So she sits down and she says, I, um, I have to go to Montreal for an operation. She said, I have a tumor. And I'm like, yikes. So it turns out that she had a tumor in her brain near her pituitary gland. And so she's explaining this to me. And she said, so I'm going to Montreal. They're the best place to go to have this done. And she said, like, it's this. In fact, she had she had her laptop with her. And so she had a video on her laptop showing um, how this procedure actually takes place. So she said she had a, a tumor in her head that was about the size um, it was either a golf ball or a baseball. Um, let's go with golf ball because a baseball would be, well, you'll know in a second why we were hoping it's a golf ball. Um, so what they do is they go in through the nose and they actually remove the tumor through there. So she would have had a tumor the size of a golf ball coming out of her nose. So they actually showed this on the video. It was not a pleasant video to watch, but that was the procedure. Um, and so her favor was that she the with the two weekends and the week off that was going to be 9 days they told her that uh if all go all went well she'd actually be able she could come back to school after the march break that she should be well enough to come back and so that was her plan but if it you know if there were any side effects or she just wasn't feeling up to it she was going to take the following week off and so she had prepped a week's worth of work. So she'd come in, she had all the photocopies and assignments and everything else that uh, were going to be given to her different classes that she had. And she had arranged for a friend of hers who was a professor at the University of Toronto that he was going to come in and he was going to cover her class if she was away. And her favor was, A, could I hold on to all those handouts and stuff and give it to him if he had to come in and then just sort of help him navigate the terrain of, you know, being in our school and everything else. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Of course I can do that. So I said, this is sometime in the middle of the week. It turned out that for the March break, I was going home to Sudbury. Um, so I leave on Friday, go home to Sudbury. And she's off to Montreal. And so when she went to Montreal, she uh, she had a friend who was going to be going down with her. So he, because she didn't have a car. So uh, the friend drove her down and the friend was going to be, he was going to be staying there um, over, the, over the week so that, uh, you know, he could be with her and drive her back when everything was done. 
So on, I want to say Saturday or Sunday of the first weekend of our March break, so I'm now in Sudbury, I get an email. And I'm on my dad's computer when I get the email. So I, I open up the email and it's from this friend. And the email is not good news. He said, um, doctors have told me that the operation didn't go well and they don't think that she's going to make it. And he kind of went on. He said, like, I, I'm really not sure what to do. You know, I got to let her husband know and her parents know. And I'm really, uh, you know, I'm heartbroken about having to do this. And I was like, holy cow, this is crazy. And I I felt bad because I guess I never, I when she sort of told me about this whole thing, I never, I never sensed how dangerous this was. It seemed sort of rather routine. And she didn't seem worried about it. So I wasn't worried about it. And now it's like she's, she's you know, there's a strong possibility she's going to die. And my dad was in the room when I read it. And I turned to him and I said, I think I'm going to have to go back to Toronto. Because I said, this, this doesn't look good, you know, for her. So he said that he was going to follow up with me uh, and, and sort of keep me up to date on on her status. And so I, I couldn't, I wasn't going to make any decisions until I knew uh, I, until I had heard more from him in terms of what was going on. So I'm not sure, maybe a day or so passes, and then I get a second email. But the second email is not from him. It's from the guy who is going to be covering her classes if she wasn't, you know, if she didn't come back. And um, the email is kind of, there was a lot of all caps. I kind of felt like the guy was yelling at me. Um, at least that was my interpretation. But he's like, um, he he seemed he seemed like he wasn't in the loop as to what was going on. He's like, I I can't like, I just found out like all this is going on. I can't believe this is happening, and and no one had told me about this before. And and he's he's going on and on and on. And I I'm feeling like I've done something wrong, even though I don't even know who this guy is. And so I, I sort of go through the whole email, and I reread it again, and I get to the end. And I, I turned to my dad and I said, I said, this is going to sound terrible, but I said, I actually think that this is a hoax. I don't think this is, I think this is all made up. And the reason that I, I got that feeling was something that this guy said in the email. The email, he said, you know, she's so important in my life and and I, I've never met a more amazing human being ever. And it just kind of went on about how amazing she was. And it just, I was like, this is an odd email. First of all, I don't know who this guy is. I have no idea how he got my email address. Um, and so I'm like, this, this, my gut feeling was this just feels weird. This, something's not right. So I go back up. So now, so now I'm kind of like, hmm. What's going on here? I mean, I don't know for certain. So I have to, I need to make sure that I, I figure out exactly what's going on. Otherwise, you can be in big trouble if you say, yeah, I don't think this is real. So uh, I kind of put my detective hat on. And the very first thing that I go back and I look at the email address. And I see that it's a Hotmail address, which is unusual. If you're a university professor, then you would have a university email address. So I'm like, hmm, suspicion raised um, and the I noticed that and I went back to the first email the first email was also a hotmail address now 
It could have been a legitimate Hotmail address, but it was Hotmail. And I thought, okay, because it wouldn't have been hard to, for somebody to make up email addresses, just as it wouldn't be hard to do that in Gmail. So um, so then I'm, I, I, I kind of step back and I'm like, okay, I've got to, I need to figure out a way to be certain about this. So I've got, I've got to prove this beyond a shadow of a doubt for me, at least for me, so that I know that this is in fact a hoax. And so I asked myself a question. And the question was, is there a way to figure out where an email originated from? Can I see what city it was sent from? So I had a friend at the school who was the IT guy. So I sent him an email and I don't give him any of the details. I just said, listen, I've got some really weird emails. And I said, I'd like to find out if there's a way to find out where the, what city they came from. Is there a way to do that? He said, yeah, there is. There's a way that you can open up the header in an email uh, and it will show you, it will show you that information. I'm like, Perfect. So the first one should have come from Montreal if it was, in fact, a legitimate email. And I and I did what he told me and I saw that it actually came from Toronto. And I'm like, interesting. Now, the second one, uh, it, I couldn't have used that logic because it should have come from Toronto. So that one didn't matter. But so that was the first thing. So it's like, OK, so I know the first email should have come from Montreal. It didn't. It actually came from Toronto. So, so that was the first thing, but I, I, I needed more to make sure that I had the certainty that I needed so that I knew that without, you know, that I was 100% certain that this was a hoax. And so the second thing that I did was I started to do some research on this guy who was actually covering her class. I'm like, I wonder if he's actually even real. So I do some research and it turns out he was real. He was a university professor at the University of Toronto. And I see that with the, the stuff that I pulled up on Google, I see that there is a phone number where I can call him. So I call him and I'm like, hey, this is, you know, I tell him who I am. And I said, this is going to sound a little weird. Um, but I said, uh, there is a colleague of mine here who um, I think has created this elaborate hoax. I said, I'm not sure. Uh, do you know who she is? And I tell her, I tell him the name and he goes, he said, you know, he said, the name sounds familiar. Uh, He said, I don't know her, but he said, I think she may have been in my class last semester. So I was like, okay. And so I, I, and I said, and the reason that I'm calling you, I said, is because you're sort of part of this hoax that you were supposed to come in and cover her class. And there's a big email and I got an email from you, but how upset you were. And he's like, yeah, that definitely wasn't me. Uh, but he said, if you could send that email to me, that would be, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. And I did. And I never heard from him again, but I didn't need to hear from him again. Uh, I just wanted him to know that this was going on so that if something ever came back to him, that he was aware of this. But uh, point number two for Dean. So he exists, but he doesn't know who she is. So he, uh, this whole thing about him coming in is all made up. And there was one additional thing that I wanted to do. And so there were only two major hospitals in Montreal. And so I called both hospitals, got the numbers online. I called and I said, hey, listen, um, I got news that a colleague of mine is having surgery in one of these two hospitals, um, I got an email that she may not survive. Um, I'm, I'd like to come up and visit if that's possible, but I don't know which hospital she's in. Could you at least tell me if she's a patient there? 
turns out that neither had a patient by that name. So unless she was going under an assumed name, um, I, I was 99% certain that this was all a hoax. However, in the meantime, I got a third email. So I now know this is a hoax, but I get a third email and it's from the guy who sent the first email. And in this email, a miracle has happened. Dean, she she was all of a sudden out of the blue. She sat bolt upright. She yanked the IV out of her arms. Blood was squirting everywhere. I, no, I'm kidding. That's exactly what this email was all about. It was about this miracle that had happened. And I do not, for the life of me, I do not remember how I responded. Um, but I didn't let on that I knew. Um, so I, I, I'm assuming I, I showed some grace and dignity and said, wow, that's so amazing. I can't believe it. That's that's great. Anyhow, so I obviously sent my email, my email response back. And um, so so this is this is towards the end of the March break. So now it's Sunday. It's Sunday night. It's the night before I'm going back to school. And I'm like, so I'm thinking, is she? Now, is she actually going to come back to school tomorrow? Like, how far is she going to take this hoax? And I realized, well, that teacher guy, he, he's, he's a figment of her, well, not a figment of her imagination, but he doesn't know her. So he's obviously not coming in. So, um, so I don't know how she's going to play this out, but I'm like, I'm fairly certain that uh, she's going she's gonna to come in. So Monday morning, I get to work. I, I decided to get to work a little bit earlier. School normally starts at nine. I got there at eight. I'm never usually there. I was never usually there that early, but I got there at eight and I'm doing some work in my office. My door's closed. And then at 820, I hear this little knock, knock, knock at my door. And I'm like, uh oh, it's starting already. I was not prepared to have to deal with it that early in the morning. And I still, I have no idea how this is going to play itself out. So, um, you know, I tell her to come in, or I'm assuming it's her. I come in, she, sure enough, it's her. And I got to say, for somebody that had a golf ball, uh, you know, a tumor the size of a golf ball pulled out through her nose, she looked pretty darn good. Anyhow, she comes in, she, she comes in, closes the door, doesn't say anything. Uh, sits back down in that chair, the same chair, which is over by the wall. And she looks at me with this look that kind of says, oh my, you are not going to believe the kind of week, the crazy, crazy week that I've had. And then I look at her and I just, all of a sudden I said, it's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. Okay, I didn't actually say that, but I wished that I had said that. Here's what I actually said. I know you made this up. And she looks at me in this crazed, how dare you kind of look. And then she kind of stands up and she huffs and puffs in this really angry, insulted kind of way. And she turned around and she walked out. And that was it. That was all that ever happened. She didn't say anything to me. She didn't say, how dare you? She just she just turned around and she left. And that was it. And we ne- it never came up again. Um, I would, again, I said, we, we, we didn't communicate that often anyhow. Um, but, you know, and, and I, I, 
I, I decided, or not decided, but for me, I was not... I was not offended by that story. I mean, in fact, when I would tell the story to friends, I would I would put my own little spin on it. I'd be like, you know, there are some women on the planet who will go so far as to fake their death so they can be with me. So deal with that one, people. That was always my spin, my weird spin on the whole thing. So I really wasn't offended at all because I knew that I thought, wow, like this is, I could not make up a story like that. And I get to tell that story. That happened to me. Uh, And of course, it was a happy ending. So it wasn't like I got sucked into the whole thing. But I guess there are people that, you know, fall for scams like that all the time. But, uh, yeah, that was it. And uh, never saw her. I mean, we, we never talked about it again. I would continue to see her. And once in a while, we had to collaborate on a professional basis. And it was like nothing ever happened. So welcome to the teaching portion of the show. So, you know, I, I mentioned at the beginning of that story that what I uh, would like to do is I want to model the post-mortem mindset. And I want to go back using that story. I actually want to pull out three tools that I have been able to continue to apply to my life as I move forward. And uh, the, the the idea with this is to have you listen to how I came about doing these things and how I arrived on these things. Uh, and it's just really to kind of, just to, 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 first of all, to model it so that you've got an example of someone who's done it um, to get sort of the wheel spinning for you. Uh, but more importantly is to get you to begin thinking about different things that have happened in your life that you can go back now and do a post-mortem on. So uh, I mentioned before, I believe that there's a magic to three. So I'm always looking, I always look at at things in terms of threes. And so uh, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to share the three, uh, I'm going to call them tools. As I said earlier, I'm going to call them tools. And the first one, when I go back and I analyze that story, and sorry, um, just let me, let me, put this in uh, before I say anything else. This, um, I'm doing a post-mortem mindset on essentially a story that uh, is comical, really. I mean, it's it's, it's a crazy, crazy story. Um, But there are, you can do this in any area of your life, even with stories that have sad endings, that you can go back uh, and do a, you know, do a post-mortem and really pull out some amazing things that you can use that will benefit you as you move forward. So just that's sort of a, a little frame that I wanted to get you thinking about. So the first thing that I came up with was actually a mindset. I've got three mindsets here. And the first one is um, something I call the Socratic mindset. It's, uh, it's named after a fellow by the name of Socrates. And uh, this was something I learned when I was teaching. Socrates had this thing, this shtick that he used to do. Um, when people would ask him a question, he did not feel that it was any benefit to just simply giving them the answer that that was not the best way for people to learn. And so he would ask them, he would follow up with a question to their question to get them thinking more creatively so that they could come on the answer, come up with an answer on their own. And so I had learned that when I was teaching. It's called the Socratic method. Um, and so I, um, I, I kind of, this is my version of that that I am beginning to use on me. And it's the Socratic mindset. And the whole point of, the, of this mindset is to ask myself questions that open up 
possibilities for success. Um, you know, a lot of times we will, well, most of the time we never ask ourselves questions after something negative has happened. We just simply uh, typically default to character flaw. So we take it all on ourselves. Oh my God, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and that's it. That's the end of it. Or if we do ask a question, it's like, why me? God, why me? Like, you know, something that doesn't lead to an answer that opens up possibilities for success. And so in that story, um, it was when the emails came in. You know, I I had the presence of mind. Uh, I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, but I had the presence of mind to ask the question, is there a way for me to determine where those emails originated from? Now, I know with that example, you might be looking at that and you might be thinking, yeah, it doesn't seem like a really sophisticated use of that particular, you know, technique. Uh, And it might not be. It might not be. But um, it is something that I'm now beginning to look at using in areas of my life where I'm stuck, is that I realize that either A, I'm not asking myself questions, or B, um, I'm not asking the right kinds of questions. And so I'm asking the kinds of questions that keep reinforcing the very thing that I don't want. So when you ask a different kind of question, it opens up different possibilities. And what's ironic is that as I've begun to identify that as something I want to use in my life, I've begun to see other highly effective people using this same technique. I was listening to a Tim Ferriss interview uh, a while back. He was interviewing one of the co-founders of Airbnb, Joe Gebbia. And um, I think on three occasions... Tim would ask him a question and Joe would reflect on, he would tell a story, but that story always, he would start off with a question that he had asked himself. And I was remember listening to this and I was like, wow, that is fascinating that he would ask these questions that opened up possibilities. So the Socratic mindset is this idea of using questions that open up the possibilities for success, that open up the ability to expand the world that you're living in rather than making statements that constrict or shrink the world that we're living in. So that was the first one. The second thing that I pulled out of my little postmortem was what I call the prosecution mindset. So when I had this gut feeling that this was a hoax, I didn't just sort of leave it at that because uh, that could have put myself in a really awkward position if I said, hey, listen, I don't think this is real. And I have no evidence of that whatsoever other than just a gut feel. Um, and so the, the idea was to gather evidence so that I could create confidence and certainty. Um, and it's not to say that there was still not a possibility that I could have been wrong. I mean, in that case, I was, you know, I knew that I knew that I wasn't wrong. But um, the idea is with the prosecution mindset is to gather the kind of evidence that I need so that I can conduct myself with the confidence and certainty that I require so that I'm putting my best foot forward. Uh, the scenario that comes to mind for me is an interview, Right. Typically in an interview, we're extremely insecure, we're nervous, there's anxiety because you're going in and I go, oh my God, I hope I get this and I hope they like me and those sorts of things. But if I did the kind of research that I needed to do so that I knew, 
you know, I, I rehearse the kinds of questions that I think they're going to ask me. And, and I also rehearse, like, how am I going to respond if they ask me a question I've never thought of before? And if I do all of that and I put all those ducks in a row, then I give myself the best shot at coming in and being the most confident and certain version of myself. So that was something that I realized that I'm going to use that and I will I, and I will make a more conscious effort to be using that as I continue to move forward with my life. And the third one, the one that I really like, I like them all actually, but this one, this one I think is 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 going to play a big part of my life moving forward. I'm going to call this the closed loop mindset. So in order to explain this mindset, I need to explain its opposite, which is the open loop mindset. So um, I'm not a brain expert, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I understand about the brain. Um, The brain does not like open loop scenarios. Now, an open loop scenario, a great example of that would be in a TV show. It's the season finale of whatever TV show you love. And something happens and they leave the show and you're like, oh my God, like Game of Thrones is coming on if you're a Game of Thrones fan. So, you know, like there's the end, you know, there's the season finale of the last one. There are all of these unresolved situations, unresolved questions that need answers. And your brain is like, oh my God, I need to know the answers to this. And so we get super excited about wanting to see what's next. Um, That can also work to your detriment, you know, when um, I also think an open loop mindset works when we do not solve a problem. So let's say someone says something to us that we don't like, um, like they, they make a comment about us that we don't like and we don't say anything. I believe that we what we've created is an open loop is that there's a, a sense of resentment and anxiety that we think we've forgotten about it, but at, you know it's like an algorithm. It, it's working in the back in the background, and it just kind of eats away at you. And then, uh, what typically happens with these open loops that we don't close uh, is that they come out in the worst ways possible, right? So we might explode at a partner or a spouse uh, or our kids or coworkers or whatever it happens to be or you know we 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 have a we would get into into a rage when we're in the car and somebody doesn't signal before they pull in front of whatever it happens to be but I think when open loops are not closed um there are a lot of negative effects that come from uh, from from such things closing a loop is essentially resolving a problem right so that the brain can then say ah, okay this is done and so for me with that situation the thought of not saying anything at all really wasn't an option because um, for me to close that loop, I wanted her to know that I knew that this was just a big scam, you know, that she had made this whole thing up. I wanted her to know. That was my pushback. My pushback was just, I want you to know that I know what you did. And that's all. And, and that goes a long way with people in terms of shaping how they behave moving forward. Um, you know, whenever we let something go, we don't say something. So somebody says something to us that bothers us and we don't say anything. What we've done is we've actually sent a message to that person. And what we've said is, you know what? That's okay. You can do that. And I really felt that in this situation, by not saying anything, 
uh, first of all, I was going to have to be inauthentic. I was going to have to pretend that I didn't know. And I just, that's, it's not worth it for me to pretend to be somebody that I'm not. Um, and I was willing to, you know, I, it didn't matter to me. The worst case scenario was, well, she never talks to me again. It's like, well, that's, I'm okay with that too. But I need her to know that I know so that in the future, A, it's probably in most cases, but again, no guarantee that, you know, you, you squash that kind of behavior moving forward. But it also sends a message like, hey, he, he's going to call me on this stuff. And, you know, uh, you know and, and people don't want to be called on their stuff. Like, you know, if they know that people are going to confront them, uh, it's sort of, um, you know, I'm not a bully's expert, but I've, I've been bullied in my life. And, and I know that uh, the reason that I was bullied was because I didn't actually stand up for myself, that I didn't enforce my own boundaries. And until I did, uh, nothing changed in my life. But the moment that I actually enforced my boundaries never bothered me again. So um, the three tools, again, that are of incredible value to me that I think could be of incredible value to you, the Socratic Mindset which is, again, asking questions that open up the possibilities for success rather than shutting things down and shrinking your world. The prosecution mindset where you gather the evidence and information that you need so that you create the kind of confidence and certainty that lets you put your best foot forward and the closed-loop mindset. Whenever you can, resolve unresolved situations so that you can eliminate the chatter and the uh, anxiety and frustration that, that runs in the background when you don't close those loops. So let me turn this back around with a focus on you. And, you know, I, I've sort of, again, not I've sort of, I've told the story and then I've, I've gone through and I, I've sort of modeled a post-mortem that I did and the tools that I pulled from it that will um, benefit me moving forward in my life. What I wanted to do was um, I want to convince you of the game-changing benefits or I want to present three game-changing benefits that will convince you um, why it's really, really important for you to adopt a mindset like this in your life. And here's the first one. There's no expiration date um, when it comes to the postmortem mindset, meaning you can do a postmortem on anything regardless of the amount of time that has transpired between when it happened and when you actually do the postmortem. And there is like this story. Now, again, uh, you know, I mentioned this is this is not a tragic story by any by any stretch of the imagination. In, in fact, it's it's comical. But that happened 10 years ago. And I was able to pull three uh, benefits from that, three things that I thought, like, I never thought about. I just, I just told the story. I never actually analyzed it in terms of things I did that were really uh, smart on my part that I could begin to make a habit of in other areas of my life. And so now that I have this gift for myself, I get to, I can use this at any point that I want. But that was 10 years ago. Um, You can go back to something that happened in your childhood, something that happened, you know, five years ago, a year ago, yesterday. There's no statute of limitations on this. You can go back to anything. And one of the one of the benefits of this, uh, or, or sort of a, a um, sort of a, a tangent benefit of this, when you go back, is that you, in many cases, if you are able to do this right. Um, 
Oh, actually, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself because that's number two. But um, um, yeah, there's no expiration date on these things. You can go back to any at any point in your history to do this. Um, I was thinking this might make a really interesting podcast episode. And if not, it'd be an interesting experience for me. Um, I had an experience back in grade eight where I was giving a speech to an outgoing vice principal who was going to a new school. I stood up. And I gave, uh, I said five words, and then I forgot my speech. I stood there and I went, ah, uh, uh, And I remember, I remember the moment. I remember the the shame that came with, you know, that came with embarrassing myself in front of my my peers, in front of my teachers, in front of my parents, and and all of the kids' parents, and and everything else. And I remember. I didn't. I mean, it wasn't a conscious choice on my part, but I remember defaulting to character flaw. I just assumed that I had no ability to to speak publicly, and that impacted me right up until I started teaching. And there's a whole story behind that too. I think that would make an interesting story to be able to to do a, a post mortem on that that I could share with you in terms of what I learned from that going forward. That has had a big impact on how I now look at these things, but. No expiration date. So that story, the forgetting my speech story, that happened, uh, I was grade eight, so I would have been 12. 41 years ago, I might have been 13, 40 years ago. Um, and I know that I could go back now and I could pull out all the positives from that, which would, which leads me into number two. When you do go back and you do this, you get to rewrite the unpleasant end, the unpleasant end endings that you when you go through and you because what you're doing is you're changing your perspective on how you see it now what you're doing is you're not focusing on um whatever character flaw you defaulted to now what you're looking at is like what was the good like what were the things that i did here that were great that i can pull out of this that i can use in my life going forward and so you what essentially you end up doing is because you're only focused on the benefits, you're in a way you're rewriting. You're rewriting that ending. It's no longer a negative thing. Like I, um, I said, like that whole speech thing. Like that was uh, like there was so much shame that was attached to that. But I now get to rewrite that story. I've got this story to tell. There were so many positives that have come from that. That it's not. I don't look back on that anymore. Like I've I've been able to let go of all the baggage that came with forgetting that speech because I, I pulled out all the great things that happened. Oh, sorry. I'm talking about it. Like I've already done it. I I'm in my head. I'm already thinking about the, the things, the, the things that I would pull from it. But I know that it is a huge positive that, that this is something that's going to benefit me greatly as I move forward. Um, and I, I also, I addressed this a little bit earlier and I want to address it again. You know, I shared a story that's essentially comical. Um, but this, you can do a postmortem on, on the worst of the worst as well too. You know, that there are always, there, there are some people, um, and you may be one of them who has suffered something horrific and you're solely focused on the horrific. And, and I'll, I'll tell you the, the, the role model that I use for this. And this is where the original idea actually came from. Um, Viktor Frankl. I mentioned Viktor Frankl before. He wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl was a, um, it was a Nazi war prisoner and his, saw his family killed, saw his friends killed. Uh, he witnessed, uh, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people uh, die. And he survived, and the thing that he took from that 
was that he could rewrite the ending and he could also rewrite how he was choosing to interpret that experience so that it opened up possibilities for him. And he, he in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he had this great line. This is my great takeaway from that book was that between stimulus and response, that we have the power to choose. And that is so empowering. It's so liberating to 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 have that kind of a mindset that I get to choose how I'm going to see this and I get to choose to pull the great things out of this and I will let all the other stuff just fall away because I'm going to focus on all the good that came from this and how that's going to benefit me as I move forward. And I've sort of already... Uh, I've already hit on number three, which was, again, that when you go back and you do a postmortem, you get to carry forward all the great things and you get to dump all the negative things, the shame, the anxiety, the frustration, um, whatever it is that something like that has had, you've carried around with you for days, weeks, years, decades that you get to you get to release all that Um uh, I, I know someone who uh, made amends with their parents. Their parents weren't great to them growing up, and she made amends. And it's it's fascinating when I talk to her because I I truly – in fact, she went seven years. She never talked to her parents at all. That's how um, uh, how much disdain that she had for her parents as she was growing up in terms of what, what, what they did to her and how they impacted her. And she finally came to a point where she realized she didn't want to live her life th- that way anymore, that she had to find a way to forgive them. And she did. And she, th- what amazes me about this woman is she did it. And she, whenever I would talk to her, I knew like she truly forgave them. Like you could tell just the way she talked about it that she said, like, she's, don't get me wrong. She said, um, you know, forgiveness, you don't forget, but you can. You can let it go so that it no longer um, impacts how you're living your life or how you see them. And uh, it was amazing. Like it, it's one of the most amazing stories that I've ever seen. And I think about that a lot when I think about these things. But again, we have – and it, she did all the things I'm talking about. You know, you go through and you do a postmortem. You pull out all the, all the things that you can benefit from. Um, you rewrite the ending so that it works for you rather than against, against you. And amazing things happen when you do that. Holy cow, my friend. It's the end of the show already. I shouldn't say already because I think this is a long episode. But uh, just let me do a quick recap then. Uh, The game-changing benefits. Why you should seriously consider adopting this mindset. Number one, it has no expiration date. You can go back to anything that's unresolved. And by doing that leads into number two, which is you get to rewrite the unpleasant endings. You get to create storybook endings. And when you do that, it leads to the third benefit, which is you get to carry forward all the things that benefit and open up and expand your life for success. And you get to dump all the things that hold you back. So um, I want you to kind of think about where you could begin to immediately put this into practice in your life. And you don't have to go to the, um, the biggest thing that is sort of weighing you down right now. You can. You can. I, I think actually your, your life would benefit greatly if you, if you took the thing that, that um, you feel has impacted you the most negatively and you began to sort of apply this idea 
um, you would see probably 80% of the problems that you have would begin to disappear because they're all sort of somehow connected to that one thing. But do the same kind of thing, like review what happened and use the magic of three. Find the three things. And I know people will initially say, well, nothing good came from that. But there's always something. If you if you dig, you put on your detective hat, you can find things where, you know, let's say, uh, um, you know, a marriage ended badly, for example, and it wasn't your fault or you were the victim of something. Um, you know, you get to, you know, maybe how you recovered from that was one of the benefits that, you know, that I was able to, uh, not let that impact my relationship with my kids or, you know, like there's, there are always things that we, we don't even think about because we're the, the, um, the shame and the anger and, and all the negativity, um, sort of blocks out all the positivity. So find a situation that you can actually begin to apply this. Look for the three things that you can pull out of that that will benefit you as you move forward with your life. So that, my friend, was the post-mortem mindset. It's a gift that you give yourself so that you get to turn the unfortunate into the amazing. So that is it for today's episode. But before you go, let me leave you with two things. First... What's the one big thing you took from this show? It could be something I said, but it could also be something completely unrelated that bubbled to the surface while listening. Don't ignore your thoughts. If they clawed their way to the surface of your gray matter, then it means they're important. Acknowledge them, honor them, and act on them if possible. Second, would you consider leaving a review? If so, here's my offer. Copy your iTunes review and send it to me via email with the subject line, My iTunes Review. And in return, I'm going to send you a thank you audio, which will include me reading your review out loud with my authentic real-time response of how your words have impacted me. I don't know about you, but I think that's going to be awesome. Anyhow, that's it, my friend. I have to bounce. (laughs) Listen to me trying to be one of the cool kids. Have a great rest of today and remember you're just one mindset away from a bigger, more awesome future. I'm Dean Dwyer and you were listening to The Mindset Show. So I get home to Sudbury and I get uh, maybe the first or second day that I'm home, I get an email from the friend who I'd never I'd, I'd never heard of this friend before. by the way I just uh, I just um... <laughs> so I have a <laughs> sorry I have a bottle of water <laughs> I have a bottle of water <laughs> I have a bottle of water that I just wanted to open because my throat is really dry and I'm going to take a break a drink right now but I'm sitting in a chair and I had the bottle between my legs <laughs> and when I opened <laughs> All the water came squirting out. So uh, I'm laughing because um, my lap is now covered in uh, cold, bottled water. That's what you get with Dean Dwyer. You never know what's going to happen. So I'm now doing the rest of the podcast kind of like I peed my pants. Anyhow, that's all part of the show. The show must go on. Sorry about that. I'm going to leave all that laughter and stuff in because that was all real time. That was not planned. Anyhow.